Good morning. Hey, I hope that you've had a good week, but I've been telling uh, all the services today, the odds that this many people meeting in one room have all come, are all coming off of a really great week are uh, probably not favorable. And so I know sometimes we come in here exhausted, uh, tired, frustrated, disappointed. Maybe we are coming in with a lot of joy and things are going well. Uh, my encouragement is uh, I'm glad that you're here. And I think uh, God's got something for each of us in his word this morning. Uh, before we get started, though, I want to emphasize a couple things. One is, if you are a guest, we're glad that you're here this morning. And whether you are a guest or you would call this place your church home, or uh, you've been coming for multiple weeks and you're still checking things out, I want to uh, emphasize what was said about our starting point gathering. And so starting point is a time where we, uh, we provide child care. It's after church services, after this service. We provide child care. There is a home-cooked meal. It's really good. I have nothing to do with it, so it comes out great. Uh, and it's a good meal. And we gather together. Myself, some of our other elders, uh, staff come in, and uh, we're able to share the history of the church, uh, the beginnings of New Hope, uh, where we're headed in the future, the vision we think the Lord has uh, put on our hearts, uh, our beliefs. And we walk through what it means to become a member of our church, to get involved in discipleship groups, to uh, get involved in serving. If you have a heart to serve and, and you want to know how do I get plugged into serving here, uh, you can do that as well coming to Starting Point. Now here's the thing, it's next Sunday and we've got uh, a good group already signed up, but you have until Friday if you want to jump on the website and get signed up to join us at Starting Point. We would love uh, to have you. So today we're going to continue our series in the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Philippians chapter 1. We are still in chapter 1 as we continue are studying through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Let me set us up a little bit with some of the background while you're getting your Bibles there to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, most of you know, uh, if you've been here for a little while, that New Hope supports missions. And we've since the first day that the church started in what's now called the Mountain House, uh, New Hope has adopted missionaries. And so we support them in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's financially, most consistently it's financially. Uh, we pray for them, and we also send people to them to encourage them. And so missionaries have always been a part of our church body. As a matter of fact, maybe you don't know this, we actually have a full-time missionary on our staff. And so we, uh, it's called a Living Link Missionary. And as a church, we fully fund their mission, so they don't have to go to other churches. Uh, we, that's a Living Link Missionary, and they serve in uh, David, Panama. And so uh, Glenn and Sherry Russell are actually staff members here at the church. It's pretty interesting. Uh, but we've always supported this. And one of the things that I've grown to appreciate about that is the technology that we have uh, in our world today allows us to stay in really close touch with them. We can open emails and read reports. We can also uh, have uh, FaceTime or Skype conversations. So at our last staff meeting, just a week and a half ago, uh, we actually had two of our missionaries FaceTime into the meeting. We could see them and listen to their concerns, pray with them. They encouraged us. And what I'm learning through doing this consistently, staying in touch with our missionaries, we actually had our missionaries to India here in our first service today, and they're, they're around all month. What I'm learning from them as we interact is how much they appreciate the consistent connection with their supporting church, the church that sent them. How much they appreciate hearing from you and from myself, and, and, and how much that connection encourages them and lifts them up. Well, the Apostle Paul, I don't know if you picked up on this, did not have the technology that we have, right? And so his way of staying in touch with the supporting churches that supported him as a church-planting missionary was to write letters. And so that's what the letter we have in 
to the church at Philippi is. This letter of Philippians is a letter written from a missionary to his supporting church. As a matter of fact, he tells us throughout the New Testament that the church at Philippi was his primary, the, the number one supporting church that supported his church planting efforts. And so he spends a lot of time uh, writing to them. He spent the first 11 verses that we've studied uh, just encouraging them, saying, hey, when I think about you, the amount of gratitude that boils up in my heart forces me to turn and worship and thank God because of who you are. And then he uh, wrote out a prayer for them in the first part of this letter that David walked us through last week as well. So this has been one of my favorite things in studying this letter is to see the encouragement between a missionary and his supporting church and what it means to really support missions. Now, when I say that, uh, missionaries are serving in places we can't reach, we can't get to. And so we fund and support and send them to go do the work that we can't quite reach. We can't quite do that living here in, in Boone County. Uh, just this past Thursday, I opened an email from one of our missionaries serving in China. And in this email, he began to express to me, uh, in, in, or to the recipients of the email, some concern he had, just a little bit. If you've been watching the news, you know what's going on in Hong Kong. Uh, they're protesting and rioting um, in defiance for the potential law changes that might take place restricting religious freedom. And so they're really concerned about this. And so actually over a million Christians rally and were singing. Ben sent me this the other day. They were singing a hymn at, out in the public square. And so th there's some deep concern for this. And he began to express that to me. Now, we can't go to Hong Kong. Like, I can't just, I want to know what's going on in Hong Kong. I'm going to leave tomorrow and fly to Hong Kong. Like, I, we don't have that. But what I can do is open this email. And in this email, I can learn what he's experiencing, where his heart's at, how we can be praying for him and the work that he's doing. And, and then we can send email back and encourage him the same way. This is what took place. I, he, closes, he closed his email this week. I love this. He said, hey, Rob, uh, to the churches, he said, hey, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus be with you always. And then he said, thank you so much for your partnership. And I immediately read that email and I thought to myself, man, one, I'm so glad to be a part of a church that when you tithe, when you give, when you're generous with your money and you're disciplined to give, we're supporting missions all over the world. But the second thing that hit me is like, this is like Philippians in real life, like right here in front of us. And this is what Paul was doing. He was encouraging this church that had been encouraging him. And so as we continue our study, we're going to pick up in verse 12 here in just a moment. But before we do, let me pray for us and then we'll pick up our study this morning. Father, thank you for access and freedom to your word, the freedom we have to study it, the access we have to it. We take it for granted at times, but God, right now in this moment, we really do want to hear from you. And so would you speak what you need to say to our hearts that we might leave here different? And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I was uh, growing up as a kid, one of the things that I loved more than anything else was sports. Uh, any sports fans, just in general, just love sports. And I love the sports that I considered sports. That's subjective, Okay. But the sport that I really got into more than any other was basketball. I, I, could, I loved playing it. I loved talking about it. I loved watching it. All of my friends played basketball. As an adult, I still enjoy playing it. I don't like the two days after playing it anymore. Uh, they last longer than they used to, uh, and they hurt more. But I love watching my kids play it. I love getting to coach and just watch them and support them. And if you're a, a, a fan of sports, you know that every once in a while an athlete comes along and does something that just doesn't seem to fit. Like, it's just unique. It's just, it could be special. It could be different. Uh, it's like, hey, this athlete that we admire, he did this thing, and it just doesn't seem to make sense. It's just, wow. 
I'm not talking about the retirement of a certain quarterback, okay? Too soon? I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. That's painful. I, I'm going to tell you this. I told the second services too. I was, in, I was out of town when I got news about your grief. And uh, <laughs> I was going back and forth with one of our elders, Jay, who's here right here this, this morning. And he, he was saying, uh, I, I told him, hey, do I need to come back early from my trip? and have a prayer meeting at the church tonight just for all the grieving people. And his response uh, warranted me putting my phone down and retreating from the battle. He said, your uh, dedication as a lifelong Dolphins fan has prepared you well for this ministry. <laughs> so, well done, I lost. So, uh, but when you're a fan of sports, athletes do things that really stand out to you. And maybe Michael Jordan look like he could float through the air and you're just watching this like this is incredible or my my son loves Steph Curry Stephen Curry who shoots shots that no real basketball coach approves of right you're like why are you it's like a video game why are you shooting but it goes in and you're just like this is unbelievable how does this happen well many years ago there was a player who was in the NBA who was known for doing something very very unique at the free throw line it kind of stood out it was different uh, he's retired now he's 75 years old um, and many of you will know who he is based on the video that you see um, playing here. Rick Barry would come to the free throw line and he would shoot with a style known as what? Granny style in the professional basketball. He would lower the ball below his waist and just kind of flick it up there toward the rim. And you're thinking when you watch this, who does this? Like why in the world would you shoot like this? I want you to know if you're not a fan of basketball, no one, this is not normal. And my two-year-old shoots like this. And I would not coach any of my other children to shoot a basketball that way. And when everybody else saw it, they thought, what is the deal? Why is he shooting like this? This is so weird and stands out as just completely different. And yet it worked. When he retired from the NBA, Rick Barry broke the NBA's record for free throw percentage. At the time, for his career, he shot 89.4% from the free throw line, shooting that style. While it looked weird and it didn't fit in, it got the job done. And as we continue in this letter with the Philippians, the Apostle Paul is going to give us insight into living a life that's going to look different, kind of like a granny shot in the NBA. It just doesn't seem to fit the way that you would live this life and approach this life. It just doesn't seem to work. Like, why would you live that way? Why would you respond to life that way? And it's going to give us a little bit of insight into how to live that way, but really why the Apostle Paul lived that way. So we're going to pick up in chapter 1, verse 12, let's look at how Paul describes this. He starts out this way. Now he's going to transition from encouraging them to updating them on his life. He says, I want you to know, brothers, or brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the entire imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, right away he's saying, I'm going to give you some insight into how to maintain joy in the midst of ministry. And we've said this throughout the series, that the Bible's very clear that ministry is not a for a profession. Ministry is for anybody who claims to follow Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you're a minister. He's entrusted to you, according to the words of the Apostle Paul, the ministry of reconciliation. He expects all Christians to be ministers. Now, some do it vocationally and some not vocationally. And so vocationally meaning our job. So myself and the rest of the staff here at the church, this is our job. But we're all called to be ministers. And if you've done that in following Jesus, you have learned that ministry has a way of sucking the joy out of your life. 
because when you're doing ministry, you're dealing with difficult people, which is none of you. So don't hear that. Like none of you have ever been difficult. Uh, But in general, when you're dealing with people, it gets kind of hard let alone the circumstances and situations that life throws your way. Those can be so hard. And the Apostle Paul says, I want you guys to know this. And then he shifts gears, which is fascinating to me, because he does not go into detail about his situation. He just kind of mentions it, that my imprisonment, and here's what my imprisonment has done. Now, Epaphroditus is the young man who would have carried the message back and forth between Paul and the Philippian church. And I'm sure somewhere along the way, he gave a little more detail about this imprisonment to the, uh, the church at Philippi. But for the Apostle Paul, he says, hey, I want to give you a divine perspective on suffering and difficulty. I want you to understand that I'm not going to go into detail and tell you all about how my situation is so horrible. I want you to know the good that God is doing in the midst of my pain and my suffering. He says, my number one concern in this entire situation is to remind you that in the midst of our most difficult days, God can do pretty incredible work. He says, now, I want you to know all that has happened to me. Now, if you were to get into the details, you would learn that there there could be a lot that that means, all that has happened to me. From Jerusalem to Rome, Paul experienced quite a bit. He endured a riot. He endured a beating, a two-year imprisonment, an appeal to Caesar. He was shipwrecked. Uh, another beating, a second beating that he had to endure, and then he's put on house arrest and all of his things are restricted, let alone the impending trial. So he could mean, hey, life hasn't been easy. And you know that a lot of things have happened to me, but I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So instead of going into all the detail, he says, I have this opportunity that's in front of me. That rocked me when I thought about it because, look, And I want you to hear this because it sounds cliche and you might hear it and you might say, yeah, we've heard that before. But I want you to really do some heart inventory in your own life as I say this. Jesus was so much more than a hobby for the Apostle Paul. I mean, he really believed in this stuff. He really believed that every person had to experience salvation in Christ and that without Christ they would perish forever. He believed that with all of his heart and it began to drive everything that he did came from that. Every single thing he experienced. And at this point, what he's experiencing is not easy. He's literally in chains. And when, the, when your Bible says the imperial guard or the praetorian guard, here's what it means. He would have been on house arrest uh, type of prison. Not just in prison. And what I mean by that is he would have been in prison but chained to a guard 24 hours a day. Now just let that sink in. So for 24 hours a day, he's chained to somebody. He doesn't get to go to the bathroom in private. He doesn't get to sleep in private. And these guards would come, and they would take their shifts, and then they would switch, and then another guard would come, and another guard would come. And the Apostle Paul could have been saying, and you have no idea how horrible it is. These guys stink. These guys, they're rude. They're mean. You have no idea what it's like to be chained to somebody day in and day out. Will you just pray for me, please, to be delivered from He doesn't say that. He just says, hey, my original goal in life was to be a church planter. That's what he says. I wanted to be out planting churches, and now I find myself in a prison chained to a guard. And so what I do is I witness to the guard. I don't focus on what was taken away from me. And I'm not going to focus on what was uh, not given to me, so what was actually taken from me and what didn't happen that I thought should happen. I'm going to say, in this moment, where am I? What's going on around me? And how can I advance the gospel because of it? That's what he says. So it's not ideal. It's not what I would have chose for myself. But how can I advance the gospel here? He views his suffering and every other part of his life as an opportunity to advance the gospel. Here's the point. See, you and I could never know how much our difficulty, whether it's 
confusion, disappointment, tragedy, how much our pain, how much our suffering can be used by God to advance the message of Jesus. We just have no idea what God can do. It's in, most of us, and rightly so, view suffering and difficulty as a roadblock to ministry. I had these goals and these aspirations, and then this thing happened, and I wasn't able to do it. But the Bible is very clear that it's in the midst of our suffering that the gospel shines the brightest. And so this week, as I'm reading, I'm, I, this conviction set in on my heart. And I, I can't necessarily give that conviction to you, but I can share mine with you. I felt the need to ask this question of my own life, just as a follower of Jesus, is this. Has the gospel, has the gospel really permeated every part of my life? Does it season every one of my relationships and friendships? When people are done being around me, do they know that it's the most important thing in my life? Does it come up in conversation? Look, people talk about what they care about. Just wait till the next Marvel movie comes out. You talk about what you care about. How much of my language revolves around the fact that this is the thing I care about the most? You see, for Paul, nothing else mattered more than making Jesus famous. Nothing. And it was a part of conversations and decisions that he made. Everything was about, I just want Jesus to be made known. I don't need the credit. I don't need the comfort. I don't need the recognition. I don't need the platform. I don't need to be remembered. I just, I don't need control or power or decision making. I just want Jesus to be made famous. And he summarized it, I think, beautifully in a verse that uh, would be a good one to memorize for you. Go over it with your family. But he summarizes it in his conversations with the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Here's what he says in Acts 20, 24. He says this. When it comes to his life, he says, but I do not account my life as uh, of any value or precious to myself. That's not what life is about for me. My only thing is that I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I just, look, I know life isn't good to me, but God is still good even when life isn't good. And I just want people to know that. That this life is not the end of the story, that life goes on forever, and I want my life to testify to that truth. And so because of that being his central part of his life, his, his ethos, everything that he cared about, he can then say what's next, verse 14. So because of this, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, so not because of Paul, but because of what God was doing through Paul, they're much more bold to now to speak without fear. So I love this. He says, now, because I'm suffering, and I'm trying my best to just focus on Jesus, even when I have a bad day. Now, look, I'm preaching to the choir. I, I am not good at this. I've needed this text, because people closest to me will tell you, when Rob's having a bad day, like, it's not rejoicing. Like, it's a bad day, and, and it comes out bad. And that's okay. It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to express having a bad day. My struggle is trying to find purpose in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that difficulty, in the midst of all of that. And so when the Apostle Paul says, hey, I want you guys to know that what has happened to me has actually brought about good things, what he's trying to do is encourage them. Have you ever been around somebody who suffered well? I've been in this church for 10 years and I've watched some of the people in this church go through some of the most unimaginable suffering and then they stay focused on Jesus in the midst of it and all of a sudden my spirits are lifted I want to go live more boldly for Christ more courageously for Christ maybe you've experienced this and it would be easy to come up with illustration after illustration showing you this because you've seen it but I want to ask the question in reverse do you really believe 
deep down in your heart as a follower of Jesus that in the midst of your suffering and difficulty that God can really use that to advance the gospel? I mean, do you really believe when you're in the midst of your darker seasons that God wants to use that to advance the gospel? P.T. O'Brien is a well-known Bible scholar. He's written extensively in books, commentaries. Uh, he's made a really big impact with his life for the gospel. And, and yet, when he was a kid, he didn't grow up in a Christian home. His parents weren't Christian. They weren't Christians at all. But his mom got to know this neighbor lady that lived in their neighborhood. She was an elderly woman who had an incurable disease that created a lot of physical pain in her life. And so she would physically suffer day in and day out. But his mom, P.T. O'Brien's mom, never heard this woman complain. Not a single complaint about the pain. And it was through the course of that relationship being built that his mom came, became a Christian. She then turned and began to witness to her children, and he was one of them. P.T. O'Brien then becomes a Christian because of his mom's witness. He then goes to seminary. He gets his Ph.D. He moves to India where he preaches and teaches the gospel. Dozens and dozens, hundreds of people have been affected by, it, by his ministry there. He then moved to Australia where he began to write. And he was teaching and preaching the gospel, writing commentaries and books that have reached thousands of people now. His life has made a tremendous impact because of the faithful witness of a simple woman who suffered well. Now, if you were to go back to that woman and you were to say to her, if you'll suffer for this next season of your life well, then thousands of people in India and Australia and around the world are going to come to know Jesus as their Savior that eternity will be changed because of your faithfulness. Will you suffer well? Of course she's going to say, yes, I will suffer well if that is the impact of my suffering. But here's the thing. She had no idea. She had no idea that that was going to be the impact that her life had because of her faithfulness in the midst of suffering. And you and I, we have no idea how our faithfulness, our focusing on Jesus, keeping Him center in everything that we do, in our conversations, in our dreams, in our decision-making, we have no idea the difference it's going to make. We know it's weird that it stands out. It kind of looks like a granny shot from the free-throw line. It just doesn't seem to fit that you would respond to difficulty and frustration that way, that you have this contentment and this peace, almost this joy about you. It doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem to work. And Paul continues, he says, look, now when that happens, certain things take place. He says this in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others, they do so from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But the other group, that second group, they proclaim Christ out of selfishness, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. But either way, he says, either way, whether somebody's being selfish and somebody just wants everything to be about their comfort and their gain, their control, their power, their recognition, their own ambition, or whether someone is simply here to serve, either way, Christ is being spoken, and at least I can, I can rejoice in that, that his name is being proclaimed because that's the number one goal that I have for my life. So two groups. He says, one does ministry, and if we're all ministers, we can all get a, a heart check here, out of jealousy and envy and rivalry. This is the person who says, I want to do ministry because it's my idea. Because I came up with this concept. Because I will be the leader. Because I'm going to be in charge. Because I get to make the decisions. This is the person who says when someone else gets picked to lead, they're like, why them? I'm better. 
Like, I could do that better than them. Why would they pick that person? Or why is that person finding success? Or why, why this? And you find every reason to figure out why you're the better fit. And every decision now is about making yourself comfortable and elevating yourself to a position of being uh, of influence. And he says, that person does it out of selfishness. He says, but you got this other group of people that come along and they say, I, I just want Jesus to be known, so whatever. Use me however you can. Whatever you need, I'm here to serve. I just want Jesus to be elevated. I just want him to be the center of it all. And so whatever it takes, I'm willing to serve that way. You see what he's doing? He's trying to squash competition. Remember where Paul came from. He was a Pharisee. So before he wrote this letter, before he became a Christian, he, was grow, he grew up in a very highly competitive religious environment where he continually had to compete and to prove himself over and over again. And the Bible says that the Apostle Paul was far above all of his contemporaries, that he had advanced uh, intellectually. He accomplished way more than all of them. And I think, this is just me speaking, I think he's exhausted from religious competition. We have to show yourself, you have to show other people up. Constantly have to prove yourself. He becomes a Christian and he realizes, no, Jesus already did everything for me, so I just need to point to him because you can't earn this thing on your own. And he's trying to get across to the Philippians, look, you will never be satisfied in Christ if the end goal is your own comfort. You'll never actually be satisfied. Jesus won't actually be enough. Unless you can really define what your why is. Like, why do you do this? Why are you alive? Why are you making decisions? Why is it that you decide to do things the way that you do it? You have to know why, not just what you're doing or how you're doing it. Simon Sinek, he is a kind of a cultural analyst, and he points out all kinds of different patterns in culture. And he coined this phrase called the golden circle theory. Here's a picture of it. It's artwork, uh, really good artwork here. And so it's called the golden circle theory. And he evaluates businesses this way. And so I, just bear with me for a moment. He says most companies start from the outside of that circle, and they start with their what. We know what we do. We know very well what we do. We can tell you everything about what we do. He says companies that are better than that, they could tell you how they do it. So not only do we know what we do, I can tell you exactly how we do this. He says, but the rare company that's pretty good could tell you why they do it. I mean, they can definitely tell you what they do, and they can tell you how, and they could probably tell you why. He said, but the best companies in history, they don't start from the outside of that circle going in. They start from the inside of that circle going out. They start with their why. And the why is the most important thing. And he uses Apple, uh, so bear with me on this too, as his example. Apple, the technology company, they, what is their why? They've always known their why from day one, their why. has always been, we want to impact the entire world technologically. That's it. Okay, so how is it that they're going to do that? That's their why. So they, their how, based on their why, is we're going to make user-friendly, highly efficient, aesthetically pleasing, moderately priced, though some might disagree with that one, pieces of technology. Okay, so now they know how they're going to do it. They're going to make this type of technology all around the world because that's their why. Their why is we want to impact the world, so we're going to make this kind of technology. Okay, so then what is it? Well, they make iPods, and they make iPhones, and they make Apple TVs and MacBooks. But that's never the goal, and that's subject to change over time. What's not subject to change is the why. And for the Apostle Paul, what he's reminding the church in Philippi with his own life example is Christians, followers of Jesus, are to start with and remain centered on the why, and the why should always be making Jesus famous. 
I want to make Jesus known. And it's going to look weird to the world. They're going to say, why is it that you respond to suffering that way? I just want to make Jesus famous. Well, why is it that you parent the way you do and you make parenting decisions the way that you do? Well, I just want to make Jesus famous. Why is it that your marriage looks the way that it does? We just want to make Jesus famous. Why is it that you're generous with your money and you pursue justice in this world? Well, we just want to make Jesus famous. Because he is the source of our greatest joy. I like the way Tim Keller summarizes it. He says it this way in his book, The Reason for God. He says this, the Christian gospel says this, the good news that Jesus did for me what I couldn't do for myself says this, that I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, but I'm so loved that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to a couple different things, a deep humility and a deep confidence at the same time, humility and confidence together. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. See, I cannot feel superior to anybody. I can't feel like I'm better than anyone, but I also don't have to prove myself to anyone. I don't think of my, more of myself or less of myself. I just think of myself less. Because this is how the gospel penetrates and changes everything. I have a humility and a confidence. The humility is he had to die for me. The confidence is, man, he was glad to die for me. And because of that, my life can look different. That many people will tell you that the Apostle Paul lived this life that they would, would say is untouchable. Like you could not offend him, you could not affect him, you could not bring him down. And so for years, the Romans tried to stop him or quiet him, and they would do all kinds of things. It's like them saying, hey, Paul, if you're not quiet about Jesus, we're going to beat you. Paul would say, hey, well, then I get to share in the sufferings of Jesus. So even in physical pain, I'm okay with that. You can beat me. That's fine. I'm just going to share in his sufferings. Okay, Paul, then we're going to kill you. Well, to die is Christ. Or, so I get to go be with him. So if you kill me, then I'll be with him by, as soon as I die, I get to be with Jesus. That's my whole goal. So you're kind of helping me get there. Okay, well, then we're going to make sure that you keep on living. Well, to live is Christ. And every decision I make is going to be about making much of Jesus. Okay, Paul, then what we're going to do is throw you in prison. And he would say, okay, then I'll convert your guards. Like, you're not touching him. No situation, no circumstance, no pain, no disappointment, no confusion, no tragedy was going to stop him from making much of Jesus. And he's calling us to live the same way. If they describe the Apostle Paul as untouchable, how would they describe your life? How would they describe my life? See, over the years, I have been so affected, primarily by the way we preach at this church. So this is my father-in-law's approach that Man, I just fell so deep in love with. And so two years ago when I became the lead minister, I resolved, hey, we're going to keep preaching this way. We're going to just preach through books of the Bible. That's what people need. And in doing that, and over these last few years, my life has been like really transformed. My goal, I'm being very vulnerable with you here, my goal in life used to be I want to have an impact for the gospel. I want to impact the world for the gospel. I think there was some nobility in that. But my life has been shaped by Scripture, and my goal has changed. And it, I put different words to it, but essentially it, it, it's this. It's when I get to that day, and this is somewhat morbid, when I'm in a casket, I want my wife Sarah to say, I would marry him all over again. I want my kids to look and say, that's the godliest man I ever knew. See, the goal, not perfectly, and I'm not doing it perfectly, and they will tell you that. But the goal is, when we're done, is that if the spotlight can be on him, I'm okay in the shadows. If, if, if he can be made famous, I'm okay not being known. I just want Jesus to be made known. And it's going to look different. It's kind of weird. The world's not used to that. 
One author put it this way, your life goal could just be Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's just Jesus. I don't need anything added to him. I don't need comfort. I don't need a new house, a new car. I don't need a bigger bank account. I just need Jesus. He's it. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything for me. And look, I'm telling you, the world won't understand that. It's going to kind of look like doing a granny shot in professional basketball. It's weird. But it's that kind of life that God takes and uses to do immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine. And I don't know about you, but that's the life I want to live. Let's pray.